All right, we've got a lot to cover in our reaction series for this week. The first topic we're going to touch upon is Brian Johnson. So Brian Johnson, he is this guy. He started a company a long time ago, a payments company called Braintree, and he sold it to PayPal for about $800 million. So he's done really well for himself and very good entrepreneur. And now he has launched a supplement company. And what we wanted to talk about, I'm going to first share kind of what this guy is all about now. And then we can we can talk about this model because we're seeing more and more people do it. So just to share some context here, those of you that are watching on YouTube, you can see this is the before and after. So Brian's on the left side, and then this is a new Brian Johnson. And you can see he's very new age on the right side over here. And if he's we move- More muscle ahead. definition. I can't really tell from the left side image, but um, he's all about longevity and just making his body- uh, healthier, his insides healthier, his, you know, live longer, etc. Cool. So you could see his YouTube and I think he's holding a vial of blood here and basically 422k subs and he's gone really hard on YouTube. So the topics are interesting. You can see this thumbnail over here, why I take 100 plus pills every day. And then the thumbnail is really good. It's like a spoon full of pills and his face is kind of like a little bit in shock. And then he's got his anti-aging home. So it's like a $5.8 million anti-aging home. And it's, it's just, he's playing, he's clearly playing the game of YouTube really well. It's a trending topic. It's got a larger total addressable market. And if you look at his Twitter over here, he's got 136K followers and he calls himself a, prof a professional rejuvenation athlete. And so he's basically... Look, and his tweets over here, health is forgotten until it's the only thing that matters. And then he put in, um, I think my dream GF, maybe my, my dream GF, is that, that's not girlfriend, a dream girlfriend. Yeah. My dream girlfriend, I'm guessing. Yeah. Pace of aging is less than 0 0.70 body inflammation, less than an average 10 year old, perfect liver markers, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, this guy's like all in on this stuff. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense for him to launch a supplement company. Now, Neil, do you want to talk about how he's changed things up? Because he started as an entrepreneur and now he's kind of reversing it. Yeah. So most entrepreneurs create a product and then they focus on marketing. What he's doing right now is the opposite. And Eric and I have talked about this in the past. You build attention. In essence, you're building kind of like a media company and then you're monetizing. So what he's doing right now is building a massive audience. He's going after consumer-based topics that appeal to pretty much everyone. Uh, as long as you're an adult, if you're a kid, of course, his content isn't applicable when you're five years old or two years old. You're not going to watch it or read it. But assuming you're an adult, it's practical, it's useful to you. And he's creating content that appeals to the masses. If you look at his Instagram thumbnails, he'll show his back posture messed up versus it straight. Uh, he'll do catchy stuff like talking about his $5.8 million home or top 1.5% of 18 year olds. Like he's using all these catchy images or like him with the spoonful of pills. Everyone's like, what the heck? What's happening here? And this is all causing tons of views, thousands and thousands. And then what will he do? He'll monetize it. So it's a really smart approach. A lot of people, when they're creating businesses, they first figure out the product or service. If you already know the industry you want to be in, go grab the attention. Go create that media company, whether it's through blogging or social media or paid ads. Go garner the attention. And then from there, focus on monetizing it once you've built up a massive audience that's super loyal to you. You know what I think is interesting, Neil? He's also he's playing the game pretty well. And so it looks like in the last month or so, He's gotten 12 million views 
and 76,000 subscribers. And this is, by the way, it's, it's net, it's a net decrease. And he's actually decreased a little bit of his, um, his output. So 44 videos published, but I think the key thing here to call out too is those, those of you that can see my screen, he is playing the YouTube game really well. What's really important with YouTube at the end of the day, it comes down to number one, the idea, the idea has got to be really good Two, the thumbnail has got to be amazing. And three, ideally your headline invokes curiosity and controversy, right? So it's like, why I take 100 plus pills? Or, wait, this guy takes 100 plus pills a day? What is that? I'm like, I'm curious, right? And I guess it's kind of controversial too. I barely can take five or 10 pills a day. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I take like 30 a day, but it's for whole other pieces like of stuff. But like, here, check this out, Neil. Like this one, how I fix my terrible posture, the thumbnail to Neil's point it, it on the left side it shows bad posture versus good posture and then on the bottom of it you said my posture you can see it says my posture nearly killed me now the difference is the one with the really amazing thumbnail the first one has 929,000 views versus the second one has a 40 149,000 views so like what i realized at least this now goes into like a subsection of what he's doing the game that's being played on youtube now that we have someone that's that's a youtube strategist for us he's like look like Eric, you have a wealth of information, but at the end of the day, it's like your idea of A isn't that interesting and B, your thumbnails and your headlines suck. So that's just another mini lesson. Well, speaking about thumbnails and uh, YouTube, we have another topic that we want to discuss what the best YouTubers do when it comes to thumbnails and headlines. Yep. So I guess we kind of, uh, we kind of, I mean, this guy's a good example of it. I guess we kind of went into it already. Right. Um, and so let, let's let's use another example. And I, I know like we we talk about or more so I talk about Mr. Beast all the time just because I think he's the gold standard. And I think he spends over six figures per thumbnail, something like that, or like six, six figures per video testing thumbnails. And I think that's a lot of money. And it is what, a lot of money. But I mean, it, it's worked out for him because what most people get wrong is they focus all their attention on creating the best video, which you should create amazing content, but they focus very little of their time on YouTube actually marketing it. And your headlines and thumbnails will affect how many times your video is suggested because it's all about the click rate, right? YouTube's looking at how long is your video keeping people on YouTube and what people are percentage-wise clicking on your videos versus the competition. If you do well on both aspects, your video will perform much better than others. And it's easier said than done, but the way you get that done is through testing your headline quite a bit and you test your thumbnail. And if you're not doing that, you're making a big mistake. There's a lot of YouTube tools out there that allow you to uh, uh, test your thumbnail. Uh, check out like TubeBuddy, VidIQ, a, a lot of them. But I believe TubeBuddy is what we use for the A-B testing of the thumbnails or it's VidIQ, it's one of them. It's TubeBuddy for that one, yeah. So Creator Hooks is another, it's a tool I use. And what it does is this guy, I believe his name is Jake Thomas. Each month, he will basically give you a list of thumbnails and headlines that work really well. And he'll score them too. So you get some ideas from the latest performing videos. And look, that, that's what matters. And, and I, I was talking to a guy, his name is Film Booth. And his name, his first name is Ed. I was talking to him over Twitter the other day. So he's actually listened to the, the, the pod before, but he teaches people how to grow on YouTube. And he's got about 400K subs. And if you watch his videos, he's, an, he's not just an educator, he's an edutainer. And when I was talking to him, he's like, dude, like your stuff is good, but at the end of the day, man, 
like I was talking about earlier, it just comes down to the idea. You need to spend as much time as possible thinking about the idea. And so, for example, I wouldn't say how to grow your SEO traffic. I might say something more along the lines of this helped me get 1 billion visitors. And then I could talk about whatever I wanted to wrap it around. That's more entertaining. And that's more, at least it's, it's a little more like, whoa, I'm, I'm a little curious. And oh, maybe I got a billion visitors using this black hat tactic, right? And then it's like, whoa, black hat tactic. That's a little controversial. And then that, that, and then you have an interesting headline, you have an interesting thumbnail and you're just testing the hell out of it. And so for us, when, when I talk to you guys, these guys, it's like, yeah, if their thumbnails isn't like a top one or three video out of the last 10 videos in the first hour or so, they're quickly adjusting the thumbnail and they're quickly adjusting the headline. Um, Neil and I, we don't, unfortunately, at least I'll speak for myself. We don't have, we have our resources kind of spread in different areas right now. And it isn't like YouTube's our number one game, but we're trying to play the game better so we can teach you better. Yep. Um, and now let's talk about Twitter ghost writers. <clears throat> yep. So this is a topic we were talking about maybe earlier last week, the last seven days or so. So I was just mentioning how we're testing out ghost writers and the, one of the co-founders of morning brew, he started a ghost writing service for, for, I believe Twitter, he's doing it for CEOs and you're seeing a lot of these pop up. And so earlier I just alluded to YouTube, like you got to know how to play the game. Brian's playing the game on YouTube, but there's also a game to be played on, on Twitter as well. And we're going to talk about the pros and cons of doing this. And I just want to show you some results from uh, we were kind of testing this ghostwriter over here. So if you can see my screen over here, basically what I've done is I am, this is a tweet that my ghostwriters put out maybe a week ago or so. Uh, less than a week ago. And so the headline is for these two women over here, they started a company called Flowdesk. The main thing I want to call out here is this tweet, this tweet storm or tweet thread got about 2 million views on it. You can see it's got all the likes in the world, 5,500 likes, 6,000 bookmarks or so. And that's great and all. And it's a story. You guys keep scrolling. It's like, okay, here's what they did since then. Here's how much revenue they did. Oh my God, it's, right? It's, you can scroll all the way back up. The, the hook is really catchy. I'll read it for you guys if you guys can't see. 20 million a year and 100% bootstrap. In 2019, they were called idiots as they were building a product that has already existed. In 2023, their business is better than most VC-backed startups. So it's a really catchy intro. And by the way, I'm just reading it. I'm not calling them idiots, nor is Eric. But um, we're just reading the intro. And the intro is super, super catchy. And by the way, good for them for bootstrapping, getting to $20 million a year. Very few businesses get to $20 million a year, whether they're bootstrap or venture funded. Yep. And look, and the second part too, look, to, to, when you hook someone, you got to keep them hooked, right? And so the first tweet actually right after, or the second tweet, I should say, matters a lot. So it's like Martha Bittar and Rebecca Showstack founded Flowdesk in August 2019. Since then, Flowdesk has hit $20 million in revenue has achieved year-over-year -year growth of 391%, has only 21 employees, 75% of which are women. So this is all remarkable, right? And so my point of calling this out is not to say, oh, my ghostwriters or myself or anybody is a genius for doing this. I'm just saying, look, this is the game that if you sometimes you want to play to go viral, this is what you can do. Now, on the flip side, like here's the positive part, and we're going to talk about the negative part as well. Sure, it got 2 million views or so, it also got me maybe 200 email subscribers or so. So that's pretty good, right? Um, from a business standpoint. Now, did this necessarily generate me any leads? No, right? And so the, 
the only reason I would continue to do this, if I were to continue to do this, would be to every week have a post that goes out like this, and then it would grow the following or so. And then I would continue to post what I'm posting that's more related to my business. And that's what the ghostwriters themselves said. They said, look, these posts themselves, they're more intended to capture a large audience, but they're not necessarily going to generate conversions. You have to continue to tweet more about what it is that you do. And so this is still very new for me right now. I will continue to report back on how it's going. But at least for right now, I can't say there's any immediate business benefit besides, you know, 200 emails is pretty good. Yeah. And my big philosophy is, you know, just focus on creating like content that's super relevant to your ideal customer. You're not going to generate as many you're not going to generate as as many followers, views, likes, whatever you want to end up calling it. But I've just found that that creates the most revenue. Um, there's no right or wrong strategy. That's just the route that I prefer, and I've tested quite a bit. Um, but you can test out whatever you want. And again, you know, if you end up generating a lot of followers, great. And then if you can end up monetizing uh, by posting other related content, go for it. But what I found is when you post very relevant content for your industry, your followers tend to be more of your ideal customers and it generates you more revenue in the long run. Neil, did you take your daughter to go see the new Barbie yet? I have not. She's a little too young. She's four years old. She's not going to sit through it. Okay, we're, we're going to... Okay, speaking of your daughter and also your son as well, have you seen the, this AI video, the pretty dystopian one where the you see the kid's identity being stolen and all that? No. Okay, I'm going to share my screen and then we're, I'm going to also going to have the audio on as well so those of you can see it um, or can listen to it rather. So, all right, Neil, you can see this, yes? Not you now I can. Okay, tell me when to pause if you have a reaction to it, but here we go. Dude, that's crazy. Wow. Um, Dude, that's kind of crazy. Wait, so here, I'm going to pause for a second before we move to the next one. So do you want to repeat what you just saw? Yeah, so what I saw is there's all these social media clips of this kid, and then they took it, put it in AI, and they made it older. Parents were in a movie theater, and the AI clip pretty much was saying, hey, mom and dad, here's the older version of me, AI, and then starts talking. Okay, now this is where you're going to freak out as a parent. Imagine my... Dude, this is creepy. Dude, this is creepy. Anyway, so do you want to describe that part? Yeah, so, you know, the older version, the AI-created version of their daughter is pretty much breaking down. All you have to do is just take a couple of pictures and people can steal my identity, send me to jail for something I never ended up doing, take my voice and ask you for money or ruin my credit score. <clears throat> and she's just telling the parents... Yeah, just a few pictures, you know, you may want to capture those memories and put them online, but people can use just a few pictures, literally just a handful, and use it to do really damaging bad stuff, which gets scary, you know, being a father. Uh, I, Funny enough, I don't really post too many pictures and stuff of my children online. Not because of that, uh, but it'll probably make me a little bit more paranoid about posting stuff online. I, I, th I think the key takeaway here is just you have to protect your data. And there's just, look, the deep fakes, the older, like the world is going to get pretty crazy and whatever you can protect, go ahead and do it. I mean, I don't know if I told you this yesterday, like so, someone stole my temporary license plate from my, my car yesterday. They just what? ripped it off. Yeah. There's just weird 
people, weird stuff going on in the world right now. Um, but I think, look, it's that, that, that video is certainly a wake up call. I actually had a conversation with uh, Peter Diamandis, who's like one of the ultimate futurists in the world. He works with Tony Robbins. He works with um, a handful of people. He knows Elon well. And I was talking to him about AI and he, he's very optimistic about it. He's just like, look, we just need to get it right in the next decade. Obviously, that's easier said than done. If we get it right in the next decade, we'll be fine. If we can't, you know, things are going to be, like, we're going to be in big trouble, right? Um, and, you know, this is a guy that's super optimistic. He, he thinks, you know, he can extend, um, you know, humans can extend their lives to maybe 200, 300 years old. We're going to share that interview on, on this podcast eventually because it's, it, we talk about marketing, we talk about business, but we talk about where the world's going. Um, so, so that's that, but that this is kind of a dovetail into that eventually, um, which is interesting too. That talk about AI for a second, Neil, did you read that Sergey Brin is back? One of the co-founders of Google. I did. I already saw he's back and he's focusing more on AI. So time will uh, tell what will end up happening there, but his goal is to make sure they beat chat GPT and he's spending a lot of time in the trenches at Google right now. Here's the key thing. And I don't think, I think you and I have talked about this on the phone, but I, you know, I have a friend that, no, we did talk about this on the podcast, but again, I had a friend that was collecting his like $2 million a year paycheck. He moved somewhere else. He had a kid, he bought a new home and was just playing call of duty for like the last two, three years. And now he's back. He's fired his, his CEO that he hired during that time. He fired the president. He's like, I'm back. Right. And we had another mutual friend. They fired a couple hundred people. He's very back in the trenches. He's working seven days a week. We have another friend who's been out of his business for a while and he's fully back in it. Um, and, you know, it's just all over the place. We're seeing people have to step back in, clean things up. We're seeing a lot more discipline and it is a trend, right? It's like, and Sergey is, is kind of reinforcing it. Um, we're seeing a lot more discipline, whether it's Elon cutting 80% of Twitter staff or Mark Zuckerberg having to cut staff, Toby from Shopify having to cut. And we're not saying that's like a really like cool thing to do to cut people, but I'm just saying we all got a little too bloated. We all got a little too lazy in the last couple of years, including the founders. And I'm glad that things are changing, right? And changing minus Apple. Apple's done a really good job of not overhiring, so they didn't have to lay off at least. From yeah, what I Apple's read. like in its own class. I mean, they're still the most valuable company in the world, right? So yeah, so yeah, yeah. Any thoughts on that? No, I, you know, a lot of times, I if you're really good at one thing, get back into it and focus on it, and get back to your roots. If that's what caused you guys to grow. You know, there's no reason why in most cases it won't keep causing you to grow, assuming your market's big enough. I mean, you're you're fully in it too, right? Yeah, but I never stepped out like a lot of these people. Yeah, yeah. I I think it was the cool thing. Also, not as rich as like a Sergey Brin. So. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, look, like you know, last couple years, I thought the cool thing, and I'm not immune to this. Like I did this as well. The cool thing was to like try to hire someone and, and step out of the thing and like go work on other stuff, right? And go work on other unprofitable projects that were kind of moonshots because the incentive was to have growth at all costs. But now the incentive is to have profit at, at all costs, right? And to yep. be very efficient with what you're doing. So the, ma- the macroeconomic environment changes. And so you should adapt as well um, if you haven't already. So, No, totally. All right. You pick the next one. Let's talk about Barbie. You know, we've been talking about social media a lot. Uh, let's talk about Barbie for a little bit. If you guys haven't seen the movie, it's out now. And they've been doing some interesting stuff when it comes to marketing. All right, so I'm gonna. I have my screen being shared right now, and you can see this is this is from Adweek, and it just shows the couple of things that they've done. So they have this Barbie selfie generator, and so I guess it makes something like this. 
and then our Airbnb's Barbie dream house. So they did a lot of collaborations with different companies. Um, the Barbie, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce this, um, but there's like a luggage connection collection. They like partner with a luggage company and they made a little one. There's a Bumble X Barbie. So the dating app Bumble, and there's a lot of this Barbie, these Barbie ads showing forever 21's Barbie collection. I thought they were gone, but I guess they're still around. And then Burger King's Brazil Barbie themed meal. Did you get these for your kids yet? No, I try not to give my kids too much fast food. Yeah, seed, seed oils are bad, dude. Um, anyway, thoughts? Dude, McDonald's french fries have no spots. Have you ever noticed that? Potatoes naturally have spots. You put in some chemicals or something to get rid of them. Yep, and you still buy them for your kids. <laughs> if they're really crying and we're traveling and we have no choice, sure. But generally yep. speaking, I try to avoid McDonald's at all costs. I don't, need, I don't know why chicken nuggets need so many ingredients. How did I wonder how how did Barbie perform in the box office because they did all this marketing right, and so I think I read something about ninety three million so far, and this is this might be a little dated. So Oppenheimer opened with thirty three million. That's the movie about the A bomb. But I think I read yesterday that uh, Barbie generated ninety three million, and so I don't know if that's like a record or anything. Oh yeah, Barbie domestic box office blazes past projections. So it's from Collider.com, and I don't care about combined. Um, it's expected to gener generate over $155 million on its three-day debut, which is enough to make it the biggest opener of the year so far. Previously, it was held by Super Mario Bros. movie, which I liked, which made $146 million in its three-day debut. Wow. And so go ahead. No, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I don't, Okay, so here's the thing. I think Barbie did way more marketing than Super Mario Brothers. And I, I saw, sure, there's like some ads and stuff for Super Mario Brothers. But considering all of the marketing that they did, and a three-day debut is still, like, if this is the end-all be-all here, I'm not that impressed because 155 versus 146 is not a lot. I'm more curious maybe in the first 30 days or first 60 days or so. So time will tell. But I think they did a good job with all these collaborations. Let's just see if it actually works out for them or not. No, totally. Yeah, they spend a lot on marketing. I've seen a lot of their ads everywhere. Um, Super Mario Brothers, I did see a good amount of their ads as well, but uh, I've seen more Barbie ads. It could just be based on the places uh, that I visit and live. Yep. All right. The next one is very simple for us. Look, the, we've talked about the Google ad transparency tool that came out recently. Facebook has had the ad library for a while where you can search other people's ads. Facebook one's pretty good. The Google one's pretty limited. But TikTok just came out with the ad transparency tool as well, so they didn't want to be outdone. And I hope Amazon and Pinterest come out with their ad transparency tools someday as well. Dude, I think eventually all of them will end up coming out with it. I think it's great. Um, and speaking of social media, there's a Discord growth hack that you guys should check out to get a lot of members really, really quickly as well. Here, let me share my screen. So the, the punchline here is this is what Andrew Tate did. To, this guy basically said he copied Andrew Tate's strategy, right? Love him or hate him. And he grew his Discord server to 125,000 members in just four months. So this guy, Dustin Ferrano. And here's it takes two minutes to learn how to do it. So you can see that his community has 126,000 members. Um, and talk about drop shipping. I think that's what he talks about. So basically what he, he says here is he says... I had just launched a new Discord and noticed that Andrew Tate was going viral on TikTok with thousands of accounts posting him. Diving deeper, I realized that the traffic pushed people to his Discord. Hustlers universities were just affiliates. Knowing this, I went to TikTok and searched Internet Money Discord and put a post in a few servers saying, hiring TikTok for TikTok posting will pay $10 per week. 
Oh my God. He will pay $10 per week. Okay. My inbox was flooded with 13 to 15 year olds wanting a job. I hired 10 kids to post four TikToks per day. So $100 for 280 posts per week. The first day we did 50K views. By the end of the week, we had done around 400K. The only problem was nobody was joining Discord. So it's good storytelling from this guy. So everyone was posting videos with lifestyle clips, flashy cars, watches, etc. The missing piece that was that no, nothing told people that we had a Discord server. So using my Miami apartment view, I made a clip that both flexed my lifestyle and showed the Discord. I told every affiliate to compile random lifestyle clips, but to include this one clip in every single video. So I'm going to pause for a second and we're going to re rewind to talk about what's happening here. So one, he's noticed that for Andrew to grow his channel, he had a lot of affiliates posting. And there, a lot of them were just reposting, you know, core moments, catchy parts from like stuff he was talking about. But he noticed he wasn't getting conversions. And well, for the people that he wants to get, these are probably people that are younger. They're into flashy stuff like nice apartments, nice cars and all that. And so what he did is he basically added a call to action at the end of it with things that are desirable. And he said, oh, look, check it out. There's a Discord over here. And then click on the link. And that's how he started to get a lot of signups. Yeah, it was a really smart approach in which just leveraging affiliate marketing with mainstream content. That's the trick. You got to not just use affiliates, but you got to combine mainstream content. If Andrew Tate or this guy, I forgot his name, Dustin, didn't have mainstream content, it doesn't work as well to build an audience as quickly. Yep. And so here's what he says. He says, it worked. That clip told everyone that what they needed to know about us, having a Discord and members were flowing in. First week surpassed 10,000 members. I was pushing 100% of the traffic becoming affiliates. And I didn't start selling a single thing in a Discord until we hit 40,000 members. And then here's the key part too, before we move on. I switched to a commission-based model and paid every affiliate $10 for every 100 people they got to join the server from their TikToks. Since I was paying so little, my margins remained huge. We were pushing two to three million views per day. You couldn't even fathom the amount of affiliates we had posting. And so he's scrolling in this screenshot over here. It's like a ton of affiliates that are posting. Um, and then basically he used the $40 a month membership to act as a low ticket entry towards high ticket mentorship for $2,000. Over 50% of the revenue we did was via mentorships. Mentorships were never advertised. We qualified every lead via DMs and group calls. So this is basically a funnel that worked for him. And this is no different than any other marketing channel, right? He understood the nuances of TikTok, what people wanted, basically created the right ads, quote unquote here, and then created a new model to get more signups. Did he, did he end up breaking down his revenue? He didn't. I mean, now he's trying to sell this as like, a, you know, he, he exited the Discord and started an agency to build that Discord. So we can bet that the, the, the model probably didn't work that well if he had to go build From something a revenue else. Aspect, I agree with that. Yeah. If, if uh, the revenue was amazing, I'm assuming he would have just kept doing that versus doing agency to help other people get the audience. Yeah, I mean, the other argument is you see people younger, they are, they're always starting new things all the time, right? Um, and I've, I've, you've done this before, I've done this before in the past, like it's a stupid mistake that we make. So um, yep. anyway, last thing over here, you, you, you probably don't know who this guy is, so I'll, I'll give some context. So I, I like playing poker, I like watching poker. I haven't played poker in a while though, but um, I'll watch this stream called Hustlers Casinos Live. And so they do these, they stream these high stake poker games where people are putting in like $500,000, a million dollars on the table and they're playing live and, you know, people are watching. They might have like 40, 50,000 people watching at the time. Dude, on TV, I watch that kind of stuff every once in a while. You do? What, what, do you, what do you watch? Poker Go? What do you watch? 
No, no, on TV, like, you know, when you're just flipping channels, sometimes you're just seeing people playing in poker tournaments. Oh, you're watching the World Series of Poker, which just ended. There's a guy that won $12 million. But um, okay. what I'm talking about is is these are the cash games, right, where you can, like, you can lose, like, a couple million dollars in a night, right? And these are – you have, like, the co-founder of DoorDash. You have Stanley, he plays. You have, like, some private equity people that play. And you have um, the investors like Chamath, Pauli Hepatia, David Sachs, David Freeberg play. And actually, all, all four of those guys play as well. But the point is, on this stream, there's a guy that he he's super entertaining, right? His guy, his name is Nick Airball, and he's almost like a villain sometimes. He likes really, he can be controversial. He can like start crap with someone else. But the main thing is, he's entertaining, and because he's so entertaining, I didn't realize this until the other day when I was watching the stream. He's like, "Yeah, I get paid a hundred thousand dollars to be on the stream." And one other guy who's like a super pro, his name's Tom Duan, and he's really well known, right, in the poker world. He's like, "You get paid a hundred thousand dollars to be on the stream." He's like, "I get paid like a cheeseburger or something, right?" And and so, so basically, the whole the whole point here is going back to our one of our first topics that you have to be entertaining right like even if you're going to educate you have to be edutaining and i think any of the times on this podcast or anytime neil that's created something i've created something that's been mildly entertaining it just does a lot better than the other stuff right and so that's why he gets paid a hundred thousand because it's like he kind of makes the stream because he's so entertaining yeah that's crazy dude a lot of it is entertainment too if, if forget poker if you just look at television or celebrities or sports or any of that the ones who do a lot really well when it comes to followers and audience and people who want to watch is also entertainment just because you're really good at something like there's a lot of basketball players who are really amazing they don't make as much as the ones who may have a personality that shines on social media or shines and resonates with a lot of people you know being amazing at your skill set but not being well-rounded and entertaining or relatable makes it harder to get followers. Yeah, I mean, you got to be fun, right? Like, you know, Draymond Green from the Warriors, maybe he's not the best player in the Warriors, but he's entertaining, right? Because he likes yep. to start crap with people. Sometimes he gets punched in the face or whatever, right? Um, so it's entertaining. And LeBron, LeBron, I mean, he's just like a superstar, right? I'm just trying to think of like other examples of athletes that are, okay, okay. Why, why is it that Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle continue to do so well? It's just because they're unapologetically themselves and they're willing to say what's on their mind, which can be controversial and entertaining, right? So right. your mileage may vary. Anything else, Neil? That's it. All right. We hope you enjoy this and let us know what you think in the comments if you like us to continue to do re these reaction videos and then tag us on Twitter or Instagram and then take a screenshot of this and maybe we'll post it as well. But other than that, we'll see you tomorrow.